Now, uh, for those of you that are new, that are joining us, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, and uh, just for you to understand and know, Paul, the writer of Ephesians, is writing this letter to uh, the churches in Ephesus. This letter was passed around between uh, these churches and read to them, and Paul had spent time there, so he's familiar with his audience. And the first three chapters of this book uh, or this letter uh, of Ephesians, uh, it's about who we are in Christ. And then the second three uh, chapters are about how we are to live as a result of that. And sandwiched in between uh, those uh, two main topics is this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And today, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 17a, and then next week we'll, we'll complete the prayer. Uh, but let's, let's right now like read uh, the first couple verses here in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. It says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So he kicks off with the same thing that he kicked off this chapter, chapter 3, with. Uh, if you look back at verse 1, he says, for this reason, and, and he was going to start the prayer at that point, but remember, he actually then goes uh, into reminding the people of all these things that he had previously stated in chapter 2. Um, and so here we go again in verse 14. Uh, he goes, for this reason, in other words, he's, he's going to pray um, out of what has just happened, what he's talked about in chapter 2. And what has he just described in chapter uh, 2? Well, he's just talked about how the Gentiles had formerly been a certain way lost. Uh, They had been separate. And then how through the saving work of Jesus, they had been brought in Christ. And so they're a part of this now. And, 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 and And so in light of that, in light of this incredible grace that Paul has talked about in chapter 2, he says, for this reason now... He prays. Now, as he prays, notice his posture, right? Uh, it, it talked about in verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, what he's doing here, first of all, he's not saying you have to bow your knees whenever you pray. Because Paul himself didn't even always uh, bow his knees when he was praying. Uh, we have people praying in all kinds of postures throughout the Bible, Abraham stood before the Lord in Genesis 18. David sat before the Lord in 1 Chronicles 17. And in Matthew 26, Jesus in the garden, it says, fell on his face and prayed. But what we do see is by kneeling uh, in prayer, Paul is indicating and showing a deep humility before God. He's completely uh, humble before God, and, and he's doing this in worship. That's critical. Because remember the reason for the prayer, right? As he reflects on the reason for this prayer, he's reflecting on chapter 2, which is what? The grace of God. So in light of that, in light of how incredible you are, God, this grace that you have now demonstrated and extended out to the Gentiles, out of that God, I'm going to bring my petitions to you. See, when you reflect on the grace of God, the grace that he has given to you, you know what it does? When you really think about how deep it is, how incredible it is that that you, somebody who couldn't have earned or deserved um, or 
or, or ever measured up, that he would willingly extend that to you. When you are reminded of that, when you think through that, it brings you to your knees before God. And, and the first thing it always does is it brings worship. He says, in light of that, I got to worship. And, and, and see, one of the things that's so interesting is, is I think a lot of times we think prayer is like trick-or-treat with God right? Like we knock on the door and, and, and we have our bag ready and we're like, okay, give me my candy. In other words, God, I'm talking to you. Now give me what I want. Uh, when I was growing up, one of my friends had, uh, it was like this toy and it was, an, it, was an, it was an eight ball and you would shake it. You would ask a question, you would shake it and it would like give you the answer. Um, and, and it was this toy, a lot of kids had it or whatever, and it was kind of a funny thing to play with, but I honestly feel like sometimes when we approach prayer, that's what it is. God, you tell me what I'm supposed to do. That's the role in this. And what we see with Paul is something different, right? Uh, Paul begins and ends his prayer in what? In worship. And that's what he's doing. He is literally worshiping God. In Psalms 95, after proclaiming the Lord as the rock of our salvation, a great God, a great king above all other gods, and as the creator of all the earth, the psalmist says in, in chapter 20, 95, verse 6, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So worship is submission. Worship is submission. It's recognizing that, that you're in the presence of one who is worthy of your praise, acknowledging that he has authority over you. And that's that whole act, that posture of kneeling. You know, uh, when, when I think about that, that posture, that, that humility, that, that coming to God in a praise like that, in, in acknowledging I'm completely submitted to the will of God, that God, you have complete authority. When was the last time we bowed in humble gratitude to God like this. Because the other thing that kneeling we see demonstrates uh, and demonstrated in those days was, was people would kneel before God when they were in a place of desperation. So kneeling represented, God, I am desperate for you. You have to do this. And, and, and we see this throughout in, in, in times of incredible intention intense emotion uh, where, where people in the Bible would pray uh, on their knees like this. Um, in fact, as Paul is uh, ministering to uh, the leaders in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, um, he spent time with the elders, and it's, a, it's an intense time, an emotional time. He loves them so much, and he's about to leave them. And it says in Acts 20, verse 36, it says, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Okay, he's having this incredible moment with them. And, and in light of that, in light of the reality that God has to, has to continue to be the one to work, Paul knows I'm helpless now. God's got to be uh, the, the one that carries you through. He gets down on his knees. Stephen, uh, in Acts chapter 7, uh, verse 60, as he's being executed, they are throwing rocks at him. Uh, it, it says this, and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice. Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He's in a moment. It's outside of his ability to control. He is desperate. God, uh, I come to you now in desperation, in humility, and he gets on his knees. You know, uh, heartbroken over the, 
over hearing about the uh, Israelites and, and their decision to, to marry with these, with these pagan neighbors that they had, Ezra fell on his knees, it says in Ezra chapter 9, verses 5 and 6, and stretched out his hands in confession to the Lord on behalf of the people. Paul's passionate and desperate because he knows that what the Ephesians need can only come from God. And that's power. Do you realize that you are helpless and powerless without God? In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I'll tell you what, <laughs> I am so reminded of how helpless I am right now, aren't you? As you think about everything that's going on in our world right now, I am continually overwhelmed with the sense that I am absolutely powerless. I don't know what's coming. Um, I, I, I literally have no ability to control what's coming. Um, all these things, uh, you try and read into certain things. You try to listen to stories. You hear about somebody knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. But at the end of the day, you and I are in the same boat. We are helpless. We are powerless. And here's the thing. I shouldn't need a pandemic to remind me of that. Like, like when, I, when I think about how, how I read in Scripture, how they are desperately coming to God, knowing that, God, you have to do this. God, I am powerless without you. God, I cannot live this out. I cannot make these decisions. If you don't do it on my behalf, knowing those things, and yet, for whatever reason, um, I, I, I don't need that, though. For whatever reason, a pandemic has to happen for me to be reminded that I am desperate without him, that I am lost without him. Like it just, it honestly, as I was reading this, it kind of broke my heart that now I'm at this posture with him, that now I'm saying, God, I need you again. What happened to those prayers? What happened to, 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 to you and me when, when we used to pray that frequently? When I first gave my life to Jesus, that prayer dominated my time with him. God, I need you. I need you. Man, what, like let's, you know, this is a difficult time, but, if, but there's going to be certain things during this time that God is going to show and reveal to us that he wants us to carry over into what happens after this time. And I know for me, it's very loud and clear. It's the prayer that God, I'm desperate without you. It's, it's getting back to my knees in that. Paul, we see here, he also calls God Father. That's so important. It's the same title Jesus used and also taught his disciples to use when he was teaching them how to pray. Remember in Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so we have this opportunity, and we've talked about this earlier in Ephesians, how through what Jesus did, we now have access with confidence to approach the Father. We can come to this loving and compassionate Father. And when you think about a loving, compassionate Father, uh, for some of us, whenever we see the word Father used in Scripture, it's difficult for us because maybe our earthly Father uh, has been a horrible example of a heavenly Father. 
Maybe the reflection that we have isn't of a great God when we, when we hear the name Father, but it's actually we think of all these horrible things that's been said and done to us or our family. But in reality, uh, when, when we think of a loving Father, and, and even if you like picture in your mind, or maybe you had an incredible uh, father growing up, like a, a great father accepts and is excited when their children approach them, even if their, their kids have made mistakes. They're excited about that. You know, think about how much more our heavenly father, after all he said, after all this grace, after all this he's welcomed us and brought us into, think of how he accepts us, how, how he receives us, regardless of our past, regardless of what we've done, and, and, and yet he opens his arms to us. How much more our heavenly father accepts his children outside of maybe what you've experienced in earthly father. See, we, we see through scripture how, how he actually waits in anticipation for us to approach him. Paul says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And what he's likely referring to, now some commentators believe he's talking to just everybody, but, but, but many, and, and I uh, like think that he's referring to believers of every age in context of who he's writing to. So, it, so uh, within the context of who he's writing to, we look at this and go, man, the, the family that he's talking about is believers past and present, those that are in heaven now and those that are still on this earth. We are all part of this one spiritual family of God. And then we see, in light of chapter 2, Paul's request for the Ephesians. And in verse 16, he says this, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So Paul prays for God to answer Answer how? According to the riches of his glory. He says, God, I pray that you answer this according to the riches of your glory. Similarly, in uh, Philippians 4, uh, 19, uh, Paul wrote, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, there is a difference between someone who gives according to their riches versus out of their riches, right? Like, like if somebody writes a large check and gives it to you, um, it is either a check that, that comes out of their riches or is according to their riches. And uh, the greater a person's wealth is, the greater their gift must be to qualify it to be according to their wealth, right? Because if someone has a ton of money and, and let's say they just write you a check for $100, that still is awesome, but uh, for them, it's not that big of a deal. When, when, he's, when he's praying this according to the richness of Christ, uh, it's, it's, it's a check uh, you know, in relation to how much they have. So, uh, so in other words, in light of all this richness, um, I pray that God responds out of that, not versus just, oh, this is good, you'll think this is good, okay? So, so this is incredible. So Paul asked God to, to literally strengthen them according to the riches of his glory. 
So not just to strengthen them, but, he, but Paul literally prays that God, you strengthen them, not just more strength than they had, not just a really uh, a high level of this, but no, he, he says, God, I pray that you strengthen them according to your richness, right? According to your standard of great, according to your standard of perfection, because listen, God's riches are beyond our comprehension. His riches are perfect. They're limitless. They never run out. It's part of his glory. It's part of his nature. And so Paul asks God to grant the church strength according to that measure. That's a big request. See, one of the things that we see is is not only the, the massive request that Paul makes before God here, especially on behalf of the church, but we see how God loves responding to and giving gifts to his children, especially things concerning the Spirit. God loves to respond. In in Luke chapter 11, verses 11 through through 13, it says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? See, if you're a parent, think about how excited you are to give your child a gift that's in alignment with what's best for them, right? When your child asks you for a gift that that literally is in alignment with God's will for them, you get so excited. You will give them that, right? Like, like if my son, if one of my sons comes up to me and says, Daddy, I want a new Bible. I am literally like, oh, really? Oh, my goodness. Like, I want to go get a Bible. Whatever, I, I want to get them a Bible because I'm so excited that they want to take steps to know God better, to follow God, to, to listen, to receive God. And so, and so when we think about like God as this perfect heavenly father, and when we ask uh, in this way, and we say, God, I ask according to your richness, according to all that you have, I pray that you would cause this to happen for your benefit, God, not for mine. I want to be used by you. Think about how he hears that. Think about how he desires to respond to this. Because Paul is not praying for God to, and this is what's important. Paul is not praying for God to just give these riches to believers. No, 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 no. He's praying that that he would allow them to be strengthened according to the riches they already possess in Christ. He's praying that, that, that God would just allow them to be strengthened according to what they already possess in Christ. He wants them to live lives that reflect the spiritual wealth they already have. See, many Christians, this is such a sad thing. Many people that call themselves Christians spend their day-to-day lives in spiritual poverty. And they occasionally enjoy these incredible riches uh, of their heavenly father. Um, they, they occasionally uh, receive uh, these gifts uh, that, that, that God has for them. And, and it just, it makes no sense. It's literally like that rich person that drives a junky car, lives in this, this tiny little house and that, and, and pretends like they have nothing, but in, in actuality, they're rich. And you go, why are you doing that? You have all 
all of this, but you're acting like you have none of it. And that is how we look. Those of us that say, I'm a Jesus follower, and yet we're not operating in this. We're not at all taking hold of the spiritual riches that Christ has for us. Uh, we're, we're literally living in spiritual poverty when we have the riches according to the glory of God available to us. Think about this. You have a rich father who wants to share his wealth with you. Now, now it, in our world, if that's the case, you're like, Yes, but why in the world, when it comes to our heavenly father, do we not act like that? If it's your earthly father, you are texting, you are calling, hey, I need this, I would like this, could I have this? Do you think you could make this happen? Uh, or could I have this much money? But when it comes to our heavenly father, for whatever reason, no, we're content in spiritual poverty. We're content to, to, to just like uh, experience just glimpses of this, moments of this, but we have the opportunity to walk in the richness of God. Why would you not want that? Why would you not want to have that in your daily life, moment by moment, and how you interact with people, and how you lead your family, love your family? I, it just blows my mind. So Paul asks God to strengthen the believers, he says, with power in the inner person. In the inner person. Now, this is where we need the strength and power. This is how we fight sin. This is how we proclaim the gospel with courage. This is how we love people the way Christ has loved us. And so Paul knew, he knew that the outside, our outer self, was, was temporary housing. He also knew that it was decaying. It wasn't getting better, right? Uh, in 2 Corinthians 4.16, he says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So he says, yeah, this outer self of yours, man, it, it's, it's messed up. It's not getting any better. But the inner self, the most important part of who you are, that is being renewed through the power of the Spirit. See, our, this, is, this is important because our culture places primary importance on the outer person. Right? We're consumed with how someone looks, how they sound, how charismatic, how appealing they are, whether it's to, to, to our ears or to our eyes or whatever. We're consumed with that. We highlight these people. We elevate them. Uh, we, we reward them. But, but this is so dangerous uh, because the inner person, according to Scripture, is actually what's most important. And we see Christians, we see Jesus followers get caught up in this. Uh, Samuel, one of the prophets, he is literally about to anoint the next king of Israel. And so he goes to, to, to this place. He goes to Bethlehem and he's there to anoint the next king. And, and he is asked to bring Jesse's sons to him. And Jesse brings his boys to him. And, and Samuel's looking for the next king, right? Uh, the next person that is going to lead and be that reflection of God for the nation of Israel. And, and in 1 Samuel 16, 16, 7, uh, Samuel is, is looking at the appearance of Jesse's sons. And it says this in 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Not only 
should that shape how we view other people, but it should also shape us. Not only should we guard ourselves from falling hook, line, and sinker with people that maybe look or sound or, or appeal a certain way, but we should also ask ourselves, not how do I look, not how do I sound, not what do people think of me, uh, not how do they receive me, but in actuality, what's going on in the most important place of my life, in my heart, in that inner self, that inner person. And here's the reality with this. And it comes back to that desperation. It comes back to God only you can do this. Because when it comes to your inner self, only God can reach and fix that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's where God's focus is for you. Remember Jesus' whole earthly ministry. He was turning upside down people's view because they were so focused on the outside, on how people looked and sounded. And, 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 and he's saying, no, 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 no. I'm about your heart, the inner self. I'm about what's going on in here. And that's what his ministry was designed to do, to reveal and expose. And listen, that's what he's focused on with you. Right? Like sometimes we get so caught up in how people think of me or how they look at me, how, how, how I sound, uh, do I project something specific like this? And, and we're totally losing sight of our inner self, the most important piece, the place where, where God literally from salvation on has been focused on the condition of your inner self, your heart. And, and remember, only he can empower and bring, bring strength there. You can't manipulate that. You can maybe manipulate through your outer appearance, through, through what you say, all these things, but you can't manipulate that. And, and, and you can't empower that. Only God can through the power of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's the power. That's where the power comes from. And then in Romans chapter 7, we see in Romans chapter 7, Paul speaks of this strong desire that he has, that, that, that people will have as followers of Jesus, this desire uh, to follow God, to be obedient to his will. And yet, how, how he, and he talks about this tension, how, how, how he, he's trying to do this, but he's hindered by this sin that continues to work in his flesh. And, and, and it's interesting how, how, how he, he's so vulnerable and transparent. And then in chapter 8, verses 5 and, through 11, he expresses the truth that victory is found only in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, he, and then he also shares with us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is a huge verse. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. See, I find that so often, we are so consumed with focusing on all of the things we should not be. And so we keep going, falling back into them because actually what's consuming our hearts and our minds is, is, is our issues, our sin, our problems, our past. And so we're so consumed with not trying to be that that we continue to actually fall back into it versus understanding and knowing what he says, if you will just choose to walk by the Spirit you will not do that anymore. In other words, as a byproduct of me focusing on the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, 
I will not do those things. Okay, so, so I no longer find myself, as I move forward, when I wake up in the morning, I am not consumed with, oh, you can't do that today. Oh, come on, come on, like, like don't think about that. Da, da, da. No, no, no. I find myself now just going, God, I want to pursue you today. God, what does it look like to follow you in these situations, in these meetings, uh, in, in, with these people that I interact with? God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would would, would work in my heart, in my life today. I pray that, that you would lead me. When I pray that way, when I live that way, I will naturally do and fulfill the will of God. Because it says, if you do that, you will not do those things that are in opposition to God. What an important verse for us. So when the inner self is fed regularly by the word of God, and seeks the Spirit's will in the decisions of life, the believer will be strengthened with power. Now, this is important because I think for some of us, we're like, I did that. Why isn't it happening yet? Well, uh, just as many of you have experienced, when you are trying to transform uh, yourself physically, whether that is growth or strength, um, guess what? That takes some time. Right? Some of us have, have worked out one time. We woke up the next day. We looked in the mirror and went, why isn't it happening? What happened? I worked so hard yesterday. Well, guess what? It takes some time. It takes discipline, right? It takes a, a, a daily commitment, a moment-by-moment commitment. And as you do that, it starts to grow. Your inner self, who you are in Christ, continues to grow, develop, and before you know it, if you will consistently put these rhythms into your life, you will find yourself just following him and being content in that and resting in that. You know, we've got some time during this season, don't we? More time than some of us have had, maybe ever. And we're like, what do I do with it? How do I spend it? Well, guess what? There isn't going to be, at the end of time, uh, we're not going to stand before God and him go, hey, so I get it. There was this pandemic during that time, um, and you just made it. Good job. No, he's actually, we're going to stand before him, and we have the opportunity to say, hey, God, during that pandemic, that crazy situation that we were alive for, I had this time, this gift of time, and look at what I did with it. Look at how I was able to utilize it, God. Look at how we grew closer together through that. Look at the decisions that were formed and shaped during that time. This is an opportunity for us. Now he says, why do we need to be strengthened by the Spirit in the inner person? Why? Well, Paul says what? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is kind of interesting, right? So Christ dwells in our hearts by the Spirit. Now, this is, this is hard, right? It's hard to comprehend this. It's hard to fully understand. This is one of the, the mysteries, right? As he's talking about the mystery of being in Christ, this is part of one of those mysteries of how Christ dwells in believers. But Paul has already made it clear, remember, that, that all believers are in Christ. In other words, at the moment of salvation, you have Christ inside of you. So he's not here referring to Christ indwelling believers at salvation, What he's talking about here is dwelling in sanctification. He's speaking about something more than just Christ dwelling in our hearts. See, Paul's choice 
of, wor- of words in the Greek for dwell. This is important for us to understand and know because he uses a, a very strong word. See, he could use the Greek word that means to inhabit, but instead he uses the Greek word that means to settle down. Now it carries, this word, it carries the idea of a permanent resident, not a short-lived resident. See, in, in the context of this passage, it's not being inside the house of our hearts, but it's about being at home in our hearts, settled down as a family member in our hearts. See, Christ cannot be at home in our hearts until our inner person submits to the strengthening of his spirit. See, until the Spirit controls our lives, Jesus is not comfortable in my heart, okay? See, see he's just, at that point, if, if, I'm a, if I'm a Jesus follower, and yet I continue to operate in the flesh, I continue to live in spiritual poverty, like, like he is only a tolerated visitor. He is not at home in my heart, okay? I have not allowed him to do that. Like, like I've just said, you can be there, um, but this is not uh, the place you build your house, okay? Um, my, my wife and I, we moved up to Oregon uh, from Southern California. And in Southern California, uh, because the housing is so expensive, if you're from South, Southern California, you can just say amen to that. But we moved up from there. And one of the things that we used to do down there to help supplement the cost, uh, and many do this down there, is we would rent out a room of our house. And, and so I remember there were multiple times while we lived down there, during our season down there, where we would rent out a room in our house to help with that cost. Now, when someone would rent out a room, it was very clear that, listen, this is temporary. This is not going to be your permanent home, okay? And, and, and why, what, what, why, why does that connect with this verse? Well, I think for a lot of us, we have communicated, God, I need you here. I, I, I have to have you in my heart, and it's, and it's very beneficial. It's going to help me get through life, but just so we're clear, this isn't like a permanent home for you. This is actually a situation where I just get to be the benefit. And, and so what Paul is saying here is, Huge. He's not talking about, oh, like, he, like God comes into our heart. Like it, it's just like this, 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 this temporary uh, si- housing situation. Uh, it's just this thing to help fix you. No, uh, Paul's prayer, uh, it, it relates n- not to the fact of Jesus' presence in the hearts of believers, but the quality of his presence in our hearts. You know, one commentator said, uh, when Christ takes up residence, in a believer, it's like a couple who purchases a home that needs a lot of work. Over time, they clean it up, repair it, and eventually they say, this house has been shaped to our needs and taste, and I really feel comfortable. See, when we look at this, uh, you know, there, there is a show, and I don't think the show is still on TV anymore. It was on HGTV, and it was called Fixer Upper. Um, and, and when we think about like Christ moving into our, our hearts, it is a fixer upper mindset. It's the mindset of this house is not perfect. This house does not represent who I am at the moment, but I'm going to fix it up so that it does, so that it reflects and has my character, my nature. And so when you think about Christ coming into our hearts, like he's going to come in and he's going to do some demo work. Right? We need that. He's going to make some changes. 
He's going to bring some newness, some stuff that wasn't there. He's going to bring that into our hearts and our lives because eventually what he's building is something that aligns with who he is, something that aligns with his character. And so when, when a person takes up law, like a, a long-term residence somewhere, their presence eventually characterizes that dwelling. Have you ever walked into somebody's house and you go, oh yeah, this makes sense. This house looks like you. This house reflects you. That's what Paul is alluding to, how our hearts are called to reflect Christ, how he should be dwelling in something that reflects who he is. Christ enters our hearts so that he may live and reign there so that we may reflect his character. In Colossians 3, 15 and 16, uh, Paul says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And he says this, let the word of Christ dwell, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now here's what's so encouraging when we think of this concept of him dwelling, of him creating permanent residence uh, in our hearts, when we think about this mindset that this is his long-term home, his investment, uh, there there was another show I remember watching with my wife on HGTV, and it was, uh, I don't remember what it was called, but it was about people that go into homes and renovate them for the purpose of flipping the homes. In other words, fixing them up for somebody else to purchase. Do you realize that that's not what Jesus wants to do in your heart? Do you realize that, that, that he's not looking to fix you up uh, and then to just like throw you out there and it's like, hey, good luck with these changes that I've made in your life. Hey, good luck moving forward. No, 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 no. He is changing. He's shaping. He's demoing. He's bringing newness. All these things that are in alignment with who he is, with the full riches of who he is, all that he offers, he's doing that in your heart, in your life, not so, not so that, oh, there you go, good luck, not for somebody else, but for his pleasure because he's not selling you off. You are his. He wants to be uh, that permanent dwelling space. He, wa he, wants, he wants to live inside of you. And, and what does this say to me? Uh, be, be, like, like, here's the reality. One, uh, we recently uh, purchased a home. And, and the home that we purchased, our mindset with this home is like, this is going to be our long-term home. We want to be in here for a long time. And so within the home that we purchased, there are things that we go, oh man, we need to fix this right now. Uh, but then there's other things that we go, you know what? This is long-term. And, 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 and so we have time to work through these things. We can be patient with these things because this is where we want to be. See, the reality is from this truth, we see that God is incredibly patient with us. Incredibly patient. Because he, he's not like, oh, I have to get this house back on the market in the next month in order to make money off this person. No, no, no. He says, I'm going to dwell long-term in your heart. And so I'm going to invest and, and, and I'm going to be patient with you. Because, because God understands 
One, that we are in this flesh, that we are on this earth, and it is a struggle, and it is, it is in a fallen space. But, but he says, I'm going to be patient with you because you are long-term. See, you're not just some project, some side thing that God is working on. No, 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 no. He loves you so much more. You are a child of God. But here's the reality. He cannot be at home until he's allowed to dwell in our hearts through faith that trusts in him to exercise his lordship over every aspect of our lives. He doesn't want to just redo the kitchen or the bathroom. You needed a complete renovation. I needed a complete renovation. And he wants to do that according to his riches. But you have to allow him full access into all the rooms, not just the rooms that everybody sees. Not just the rooms that, that we go, oh, that's important. But he says, no, no, no. Actually, the inner self, the most important things. Give me full access, he says. Let me dwell. Let me live here. What a different mindset that is. You know, John chapter 14, verse 23, it says, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. See, our, how, our, our hearts have to be more than just a house. They need to be a home, a place where Christ can dwell, a, a place where he has full access. And if you give him that access, if you'll allow him into those inner pieces, if you will allow him to take full control, by the authority, by the power of the Spirit, he will transform you and you will take on the character of Jesus. People will see things out of your heart, out of your life, and they will not be things that reflect you. They will be things that reflect Jesus. And it will not be in accordance with your riches, with your power, but according to his. And that needs to be a prayer request for every single one of us. And I pray that just as Paul, on his knees, desperately prayed for this for the church, I pray that you and I, maybe even today, maybe even right now, would get on our knees before God and acknowledge, God, I am desperate. I am lost without you. And God, right now, I invite you to have full access. I invite you to not look at my heart as this Airbnb, as this temporary spot, but as not just a house, but God, I want this to be a home that you dwell in, that you have free and full access in. And so I pray that that is a request of ours during this time, during the season, and you will be blown away how your rich heavenly father shares all of that with you. And here's what's so important. This is for today. This cannot be, oh, this, this is for when everything uh, looks a certain way or normal is brought back. No, no, no. God says, I want to do this right now in your heart and life. So let's right now respond to him.